Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. It is certainly a little different to be downstairs. This is the maiden voyage for Calgary Today in the Streetside studio. It looks a lot cooler from my vantage point than it does when I'm sitting in the little bubble known as CHQR HQ. Greetings and salutations, friends. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Calgary Today and the third installment of the YYC Roundtable. And everyone has been able to make it despite the roads and everything else that's going on out there. So we welcome to the program councillors Jyoti Gondek as well as Giancarlo Carra and Jeremy Farkas. So welcome, councillors. Hi. Awesome to be here. Well, this is a treat. Thanks so much. And now we get to actually test microphones and make sure that they're all working as well. So let's fire into it. And I want to ask this question right off the bat because I have my theories, but I'm going to ask simple yes or no answer from all of you. In 2021, will you be considering, just considering, I'm not saying you need to throw your hat in the ring now, a possibility of throwing your name into the mayoral race? Councillor Craw. Absolutely not. Councillor Farkas. Yes. Councillor Gondek. No idea yet. No idea yet. I appreciate all the honesty around the table. So there you go. You've heard it from the horses' mouths right here, right now. So let's get right into it. Um, From the election standpoint then, are you concerned at all that heading into 2021, every decision from here on out is going to be based off of what are we doing to election year more than it is what are we doing to actually move the city forward? Who wants to take it? I'll jump in first. Because okay. he's the one that has said no. Okay. And, and, I, and I will say that uh, I think what we're witnessing across Western democracies is increasingly this phenomenon of the permanent campaign where we used to compete for the right to govern, and more and more you're seeing democracy sort of succumb to this situation where we are now governing as an act of constant competition and constant campaigning. And uh, in my almost 10 years on council now, I think we've seen that sort of shift and infect our own city council in this corner of Western democracy. So I'm not sure the fact that we're getting close to the election period right now is driving the fact that some members of city council are more focused on the act of campaigning than they are on the act of governing. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that we've gone that down that route in your eyes? I would say that we are elected to govern, and so I do not think it's a very positive thing. Councillor Farkas, you've said yes, you're going to throw your name in the hat for the mayoral ring. Are you, does, is there a, I'll call it a drop-dead period where you go from, hey, I'm, I'm here to represent you versus, hey, I'm here to win over your vote? Well, to be fair, the question you asked is, uh, of all three of us, uh, would we consider it? And mm-hmm. I think uh, I wanted to answer honestly. So okay. today, it wasn't necessarily an <laughs> announcement, okay, and this is enough. my pitch why Calgarians should vote Look for me. you picking my word. This <laughs> one, I, And I'm the one that's guilty of saying, hey, words matter. Way to go, McFarland. Uh, so you're considering it at the very least. If, if and when you do make that decision, and let's say it's yes or no, when is that drop-dead date for you? Where you start to go, okay, I'm in campaign mode. 
I think that this next year is going to be really telling for this council. We have a lot of uh, serious issues ahead of us, particularly around safety, security, stability, stability, affordability for Calgarians proper. We definitely need to get uh, our house in order when it comes to financial matters. And uh, to be honest, I think it's a tough sell for really any member of council at this point to be able to stand up in front of their constituents and say why they should be reelected. You see serious issues around still, we're about seven years later, past the 2013 flood, we're nowhere further than we need to be uh, in terms of uh, upstream flood mitigation. We've just passed a very significant tax increase increase uh, on homeowners, which I disagreed with, about a 7.5%. Uh, typical business is going to be facing double-digit increases. So I think there's a lot of work to uh, be done here uh, over the next year for sure. And uh, when, I, when I read the mood and I chat with my constituents, I think it's a tough sell for really any incumbent uh, on council right now to say why we deserve to be re-elected. Councillor Gondek, you're on the fence right at the moment. Are you on the fence about running as a uh, councillor again? You know, one of the things about running in an election is uh, not only does that election process take a lot out of you, but you've got to be very aware about the other obligations that you have in life. None of us are just members of council. Mm -hmm. I happen to be a mother. I've got an aging parent at home. You know, I've got a husband. I've got a lot of other things going on. So the health of my family is very important to me. So I'll need to have a look at how they're doing before I commit to something this big one more time. It's absolutely been rewarding to take on this role as a counselor, but it does change your life and your family's life significantly. So it's something that you need to look at quite realistically. In terms of your question about um, when do you actually kick into full election mode, I would hope that your primary task front of your mind is to serve your constituents and to do the things that need to get done. There was a time this year when I made a very unpopular decision to support a proportion shift in how we are accountable for property taxes and operating budgets. And it was March of 2019 when I said, I will not be popular, but I need to say this. We are expecting too much of the burden of operating tax to be carried by our business community. And there's going to need to be a shift onto homeowners. That is not something people want to hear. It doesn't make you electable, but it is the right thing to do, and it has to take place. And I stood by that. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to make tough decisions, and if all I was worried about was getting reelected, I would not make good decisions like that. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick time out here on Calgary today for helicopter traffic. More with the YYC Roundtable in a second. It's really cold and really slippery out there this afternoon. Northbound Deerfoot already seeing some building volume from 32nd Avenue up towards 64th Avenue. Also seeing some delays on eastbound 16th Avenue from just east of 10th Street Northwest over to Edmonton Trail. That's going to take about five minutes to get through. Northbound Crowchild Trail also seeing some building volume from 17th Avenue Southwest up to 24th Avenue in the Northwest. And taking a look at Glenmore Trail, starting to see that building volume eastbound starting right before Blackfoot as you make your way over to towards Deerfoot. Del Winter to take a hike. You're going to Scottsdale. Sunny skies, 22-degree days, and Sonoran Desert Adventures are an easy non-stop flight away. Visit absolutelyscottsdale.com. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Phil Jansen. Just an appointment. All right, it is the YYC Roundtable with Councillors Gondek, Farkas, and Kara, and Councillor Gondek. Let's get into some of the issues. You mentioned, hey, there's a lot to get to still. Councillor Farkas said that as well. Let's talk Green Line, because this has been one that a lot of people have, have very, very vested interests in. And are you happy with where we're at right now with this project? I'm not. 
I haven't been happy with this project since before I got elected. It was May of 2017 when the previous council made the decision to chunk it out into two phases. And unfortunately, North Central Calgary became phase two, which I now call the phase that we put on the shelf to never look at again. Um, So I'm very frustrated with this. I'm also frustrated with the fact that I thought when we sent administration back to examine this project, we were going to get some options before us. I've yet to see those options. I've yet to see anything that's different than what was decided in May of 2017. And that's incredibly frustrating. If you look at a map of Calgary that outlines rapid transit routes, there is only one part of the city where there is a giant gaping hole, and that's north central Calgary. So for me to not have any kind of an option for LRT or BRT up in that neck of the woods, and that's three or four wards that are suffering right now, Ward 3, Ward 4, and Ward 7, and Ward 2 as an ancillary ward. You cannot ignore that big of a part of the city on a project like this. So I'm extremely frustrated. What's the holdup? I think the holdup is that we've led administration down this path of trying to please us. And you can't because we all have very different expectations. And so instead of listening to their best advice and allowing them to go out and make really solid decisions and present them to us, um, I think they're trying to keep members of council happy and we will not get to a great decision that way. Is it a matter of almost, and, and the other two can weigh in as well on well, this. Are I, we I, making... I'm, I'm chomping on the bit here, so I'm <laughs> going to jump Go in. ahead. Right? And, and I mean, I'm going to say that I think that the basic... Uh, my basic position on the green line is everyone needs to chill out because this is a massive, massive infrastructure project. It's the largest infrastructure project by orders of magnitude that the city's ever taken on. And it takes a while to get it right. And, you know, when we decided that the green line was going to go both north and south rather than than, than engage in a, like a dust-up battle between whether we went north or whether we went southeast... Um, I was representing a ward that had both, right? You, you mentioned Ward 7, Councillor Gondek, uh, but, you know, that was Ward 9 mm-hmm. at the start of, uh, you know, when we, were, when we were doing this work. And when we were doing this work, the plan for the North Central LRT was to go up the Nose Creek Valley, right? It was to be part of the current infrastructure system, flow out of the downtown along the Blue Line to the zoo station, and then go up Nose Creek. And basically bypass huge chunks of the city and huge redevelopment opportunities along that north central Mm -hmm. corridor. And uh, the decision to move it out of the Nose Creek Valley took time. And the decision to figure out whether it went up uh, Edmonton Trail or Center Street and the pros and cons took time. And so the reason why we chunked it into phase one and phase two was just because we had one the southeast route was basically established. It was ready to go. Most of the, most of the land was owned. And the north route uh, was just basically brand new, and we were still working it out. Uh, I certainly do not uh, share Jyoti's uh, pessimism that we are basically never going to get to it. I absolutely believe that we are going to get to it. We have to get to it. And it's just a question of, of, of timing and, and, and available resources as we roll it out as one contiguous process that has to be, that has to be chewed in bites. Councillor Farkas? You're think, writing notes. You, you, I think I'm closer to uh, <laughs> Councillor Gondek on this one. We, what we've ended up with is a situation where we're trying to design a racehorse by committee. We only end up with a camel. Think about a route that goes from 16th Avenue in the north down to Shepherd. 
Uh, that serves nobody. It doesn't get us out to the suburbs where the population is. We're trying to please too many people. And in trying to be all things to all people, we're ending up with a, a train line that's going to serve nobody very well. Because we're not getting out to the population with this $4.9 billion project, we're looking at from day one about a 40 to $50 million a year operating deficit. So I return back to what made our original LRT investments on the red line and the blue line successful in the first place. Remember back uh, in the early 80s, Edmonton and Calgary got basically the same uh, pile of cash. Edmonton made some very significant choices which limited their abilities to get out to the basically their suburbs and their population centers, whereas Calgary made other choices to be able to perhaps cut corners in some areas, but get it out to the population uh, where we needed to serve. And as a result, our current LRT system is one of the most, if not the most, successful in North America, and really it's a model of success. So I think we need to build on that established success. And, you know, this is not uh, perhaps a popular sentiment, but I think we need to have that battle of council. We need to have the evidence and the facts on the table and say, is it north first or is it south first? But this current situation where we try to please everybody, is just not tenable. I'm going to throw this out as a freebie and whoever wants to take and can go at it. Are we missing an opportunity with transit to develop something that goes outside the downtown core. And the reason I ask that is in other cities, I'll use Montreal as an example, because that's the last one that I was really at in Canada, is you had more of a circular route around parts of the of the city versus kind of the star effect that we have here in Calgary. Do we need a bigger strategy transit-wise that gonna, addresses that? I'm going to jump in and say we have developed that. So one of the first things that we did, I was elected in 2010, and one of the first things we did was we produced a 30-year strategic plan for Calgary Transit. It was the first time Calgary Transit ever had a strategic plan. Mm. And the route ahead, as it's called, the design of that is to move from that spoke and hub approach that you, mm-hmm. you talk about where... The star that yeah, I have in my yeah, head. Yeah, that basically, uh, you know, our transit system is solely about getting people from their quadrant of the city downtown to work Mm -hmm. and home once a day to a system that moves people all around the city in different ways so you don't have to go downtown just to... And that's what the route ahead is doing. That's what the uh, the BRT coupled with uh, the LRT and emerging LRT like the Green Line is going to do. So, you know, to push back on uh, Councillor Gondek and Councillor Farkas, you know, to suggest that this is you know, some disaster of committee work. No, this is deep engagement with people over a long period of time. And all that we're finding out is as we, as we study the problem was that the, some of the big decisions that we made through deep engagement were the right decisions. And they might not be the decisions that are popular with my two colleagues sitting next to me, but they happen to be the things that are, that are driving the project through extensive work. Simple yes or no question, then we got to take a quick time out on, on here already. And, then, and I'll let you have your point. Councillor Farkas alluded to it, Councillor Carraw. Is it time for council to battle it out and make a decision right here, right now, north, south, first, second, get it over with, and then everybody knows where we're standing? I believe that, I, I think that any suggestion that we haven't already had that battle and that decisions haven't been made is theater because that's happening. You know, we're doing what we're doing. We've reviewed it. We reviewed it again. And how we do what we're doing is what's on the table. And that is phase one followed by contiguous subsequent phases. 
We'll continue this discussion. It is the YYC Roundtable Counselors, Gondek, Farkas, and Kara here on 770 CHQR. It is the YYC Roundtable featuring Counselors Farkas, Kara, and Gondek. And I got that look from Counselor Gondek already. It wasn't quite that motherly. I'm going to murder you, but it was pretty close, and it was noticed by the other two counselors, so I'll let you weigh in on what I think you want as a retort to what Counselor Carraw had to say. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the comments that was made is that we've had deep engagement, and we are using policies like Route Ahead to plan our city. Um, that's almost laughable to me. If you actually followed the principles of Route Ahead, we would have a north leg as a priority leg for a rapid transit route. We are not following the principles or the priorities that are outlined in route ahead. We are simply ignoring one part of the city because it's easy to do. It is very difficult to cobble together the money and the land we need to do that North Central line along Center Street. We knew that. When the alignment was changed from Nose Creek Corridor over to Center Street, we knew full well that land would have to be assembled. No one thought to put a fund together. That's the problem, and that's the issue I have. It's easy to go south. There's nothing where we've assembled the land there. So instead of serving people, we took the easy way. I I was going to ask about that. Is it more the squeaky wheel from the uh, southeast portion because it's been talked about for so long? You know what? Councillor Keating and his companions down down in the south did a great job of advocating for that southeast transit way. Mm -hmm. Excellent job. I would never deny them the opportunity to get something down there because they worked hard for it. But at the same time, you can't remove the north center leg from that first phase. So what I'm asking for is for us to revisit the vision, which was to move people in the north and south out of their personal vehicles into public transit. And you can't do that if you make one part of the city phase two, which will never get the funding in our lifetime. Is that the big concern even from from the other two standpoint is you almost bit off more than you could chew with such a bigger, big project and a big vision that all of a sudden there are your partners, the feds, the province who look at it and go, that's a whole lot of change you're asking us for and we're not going to give you all of it. Well, yeah, I'm, we I, ha- I would definitely agree with that because we're at a $5 billion ru- plus or minus $100 million there into this project mm-hmm. and we still don't know if we can build it. And we're seeing that play out at the provincial level where they're tapping the brakes, they're changing some of the terms of the uh, funding agreement. And I don't think that we're going to have that uh, trust restored from the other orders of government until we can actually demonstrate we know what we're doing. Well, I, I, I take extreme exception to the idea that we're the ones who are breaking trust here, right? Because, I mean, we had every, pro, every, every party in the provincial election say they would support the Green Line as funded. And not only that, we had agreements on the books for sustainable funding following the initial tranche of money. And all of that got clawed away. Uh, you know, we were, we were expecting $655 million over the next four years. We're getting seventy-five. Uh, we were expecting not only the full $1.53 billion from the provincial government, but we were expecting a dedicated transit fund as a portion of provincial revenues after that moving forward in the vicinity of $100 million a year, which was more than enough, uh, Jyoti, to see the green line completed over time. I don't think that any Calgarian should be taking that lying down and should be suggesting that uh, we're the untrustworthy ones here because we have done a tremendous amount of dedicated work. And again, to push back on you, Jyoti, uh, the, the planning 
can only go as fast as the planning can go, and the availability and the readiness can only be as fast. And I agree with you 100% that the root of head suggests that we should follow mode progression, uh, which means that if you've got packed buses, then you need to turn those into LRT. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the route ahead also talks about the fact that we need to service areas that have no transit. And so the Green Line's, you know, tension is that if you go north, you're rewarding a great customer base that needs more capacity. And you go into the southeast, you're opening up a customer base that doesn't exist because they've got nothing. And uh, the only reason the southeast is going first with the Green Line as designed uh, is because We've got the right of way. That's where everything that that's where we have the opportunity as we develop the north. The fact that the provincial government clawed back their funding on us is deeply distressing. And the fact is that Calgarians need this line, and so we can't and should never take no for an answer and suggest that the problems in our you know that the problem lies with us. Installment number three of the YYC Roundtable. We bring in counselors of different stripes to debate different things, although I will say the first two were pretty cordial. There's been actually some disagreement amongst our three panelists today. Uh, counselors Giancarlo Carra, Jeremy Farkas, and of course Jody Gondek here in studio. And Counselor Farkas, you mentioned this right before we went into sports, and I'm, it's kind of a nice segue there. The arena deal event center deal, whatever you want to call it. We, everybody's got their mindset on what this thing is. It obviously is going to bring up the question about what this council's priorities really are in the grand scheme of things. Is there a way for council and for this city to, I guess, move past this, or is there still time to put on the brakes? Well, the contract is inked inside, mm -hmm. so the, this is uh, proceeding whether you like it or not. Unless you're the provincial government. <laughs> leaving leaving that aside, but it, it really comes down to priorities. How can this council be going out to Calgarians and say, you know what, you're, you're going to have to face reductions in crucial services, uh, things like police, fire, and so on. How can we be the only major city in North America without a permanent downtown police station as we're facing a lot of issues around, say, the safe injection site in the Beltline? Uh, issues around, say, flood mitigation. One of the biggest issues uh, and problems I had with the event center deal was how we've essentially signed a blank check for the flood insurance. So the city's uh, responsible for the flood portion of that, but we don't know if this type of insurance policy exists. And in the worst case scenario, we're on the hook for uh, a brand new building. When you take a look at these types of costs, the true costs, they are going to erase any gains that uh, we may have been able to make. And it was still a negative return on investment. So looking even at the uh, city's own recent citizen satisfaction survey, Calgarians are demanding that uh, we live within our means. And I just don't find it uh, acceptable for us to be in one breath uh, saying that 7.5% increase on homeowners, double-digit increases for businesses are necessary. But on the other hand, we found uh, a giant bag of cash to be able to uh, ram through an arena deal with the scarce maybe four or five days of public consultation. Was it weird for you personally to be on the same side of the ledger as Councillor Drew Farrell on this debate? Well, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I like Drew. She, she, 
I've told her this, and I, I, I've said that she's one of my favorite counselors because she'll never stab me in the back. She'll stab me in the stomach. <laughs> I'll always see her coming, and she's, uh, to her credit, uh, she advocates for her constituents, and I've appreciated the work that uh, she's brought forward, say, uh, about the Olympics, asking really hard questions around that. And it kind of comes back to one of the great things about uh, municipal politics is that, you know, we may agree on one issue and we may disagree on the other, but uh, we can park those disagreements and we can see where the common ground is as they go. But really returning to the arena, I love the flames. I love sports, but I, I hate this deal. I don't think uh, it was warranted for taxpayers to be signing on to such a blank check in the fashion that they were, did. Councillor Gondek, your thoughts on kind of moving past this and being able to go on other issues, or do you think that we still need to be debating the the event centre, um, I, I guess, disagreement to this point? I think one of the um, things that we've lost sight of is that council made a decision on how we could move forward for major capital projects that have been unfunded for a very long time. The field house has been unfunded since the 60s. That is embarrassing as a city. How did we not figure out a way to make sure that kind of a project could move forward? So when I think about why I was in support of the event center, it goes back to the fact that four projects were tied together in terms of having found capital investment for them and having made a deal that we would need some sort of a match funding, some sort of partnerships to execute on all four of those. It just so happens that the funding for the BMO Center and for the event center from other parties came forward quicker than that for the Arts Commons and for the Fieldhouse. Now, apparently the federal government made some sort of a promise of $80 million for Arts Commons. I hope that's real and I hope that moves forward. But you got to remind people that we made a deal to move forward on four significant capital projects and just to rip apart one all day long isn't appropriate. Councillor Kara, you, you're the veteran of the group. Um, That's a scary thing to say. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very much in uh, the same position as Councillor Gondek and to sort of give a little bit more background on that. Like it's very, I mean, you know, was the arena deal the best deal on the planet? No. Was it a bad deal? No. Was it part of a coalition of projects, as Jyoti said, that, that, that were about establishing the set pieces for Calgary's best future? Absolutely. There are four projects. The arena or the event center, you know, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. They're the BMO center, right, which is about turning the project of the stampede into a 365 uh, proposition. And if anyone attended the Grey Cup rodeo, the idea that you could host an international convention and have a mini rodeo for it puts us in a totally different place vis-a-vis any competition anywhere. It was an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. The field house, again, 50 years, a city of our size, an athletic powerhouse like our city, not having a field house, ridiculous. And the fact is that our 1980s POMO sort of uh, you know, cultural center in the heart of our downtown uh, was was a cost-cutting exercise at the time, and it needs to be redone as well. We found a way forward. It's a strategy to do all four with lots of off-ramps, but it's also developed through extreme fiscal constraint and responsibility. Since the downturn, we have been driving the cost of government down. We've found $600 million worth of savings and cost avoidance, and we've taken that money. We've been basically done two things with it. Number one, we've used it to stuff the hole, the year-over-year hole that opened up from the downtown devaluation. But on the other side, on the positive side of the ledger, we've established the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund so we can compete internationally for the first time in real economic development. 
and we've established a strategy for getting those four essential projects done. And 30, 40 years from now, when we close our eyes and we think about Calgary's best future, these projects will be there and they will be essential to who and what we are, and it's important to get them moving forward. I assume the retort from Councillor Farkas here will be, it's being done on the backs of taxpayers. Well, it's being done on the backs of taxpayers. Uh, everything that uh, you've said, uh, Councillor Craw, these are wants, these are not needs. We're not in a position to be making these kinds of investments when we're cutting police and we're cutting fire at the same time. Yeah, but Taking a look at even, say, the $100 million opportunity Calgary but, but that, investment but, but respectfully, that's not entirely true. I mean, there was a cut to fire and police uh, surrounding the $60 million emergency cut that we did in the spring when the tax bills went out because we couldn't collectively come to a move-forward agreement on the tax shift. But this budget, and thanks a lot to the leadership from, from Councillor Gondek, Councillor uh, Collier-Cart, we found a way forward to, to move forward, continue to drive savings, and also shore up our essential services. To, to suggest we had police cuts, we didn't. And we, we maintained the line on fire as well. And the fact remains, it is being done on the backs of taxpayers, but that's what taxpayers do. They p- collectively pay for the things that we need. And I, and I respectfully disagree with you as to whether they're needs or wants. This is something that we need for our future. And then the final thing that has to be stated and stated again is that even in the most expensive province in, in, you know, in terms of in, in confederation with the lowest taxes, we have the lowest taxes. So, you know, I, I don't think that we should ever say we can just tax our way out of things, but we also have to benchmark ourselves against other places, and we get a lot of value for money as Calgarians, and to suggest otherwise is just false. minutes for the YYC Roundtable, and I want to get right into this one. We had a little bit of a conversation beforehand. Councillor Farkas, did we go down a dangerous path, and this goes beyond the last 10 years? I would say, even when I started back in Calgary in 2007, we were seeing this. Is councillors coming, uh, being told, here's your worst-case scenario for a tax increase, coming out after deliberations and, and claiming they're the... Um, reigning champions because they've got it down to 2.5%, but in the same time, if your worst case was 7%, you're pushing that other 4.5% down the line for future councils to deal with. Well, that, that's part of the puzzle for sure. Say, uh, Councillor Carr mentioned the $600 million of cuts. That only works if you assume that council is, say, going to increase taxes by 10%, but instead comes at, back with only a 5%. He's pocketing that difference. We're only raising your taxes by 5%, and he's calling that a cut. It's still an increase. It's like initially wanting a Ferrari but coming back and buying a Corvette and saying that you're cutting back. No, you're still spending more money than you are the year before. Also, think about things like the $100 million slush fund that he referenced. Businesses have been coming back to me and say, well, let me get this straight. You're taxing my existing business to death. You're taking this huge surplus and pool of money, and you're going out there and trying to attract my competitors to come to Calgary and put me out of business. It's just so out of whack that it doesn't make sense anymore. And I think that uh, on face value, when you take a look at the actual budget of the city of Calgary, never in any single year have we spent less one year than we did before. It still increases a staggering amounts, hundreds but, but of millions been, of dollars. But we've been growing, Jeremy. Like, you know, like people say 
in a downturn, I cut as a business, but their business, their customer base isn't growing. That's what's happening here. Like we are still growing in our lowest growth year at the bottom of our recession. We grew by a full build out of the East Village in eight months, right? There are thousands of people pouring into the city and our tax increases since the downturn have tracked below growth plus inflation. And so that's a lot of fiscal restraint that you have to give credit to. I'm going to give last word to Councillor Gondek because she had the last word out of the three to begin with. Um, you mentioned something off air, and that was maybe we need to re- unpack the budget in its entirety and start almost from scratch. Yeah, that's it's been incredibly frustrating. The first year that um, we went into budget as newcomers, Councillor Farkas and I were like six weeks on the job, and it was the fourth year of a four-year budget, so it was a little bit easier. But um, it was very interesting when we built the four-year budget to go in on the assumption that the base was the base and you either went up or down from there. I want to know what's in that base, why it's in there, um, does it still need to be in there? And so I think what we tried to do this budget cycle is we kept the operating budget even. We did not increase it. Mm-hmm. It was a 0% increase. We found $24 million in investment income that we applied towards keeping fire and police and transit whole and keeping the low-income transit pass available to Calgarians. But the thing that we requested that's coming out now through an RFP is a third-party review of the businesses that we're in, the types of services we deliver and how we deliver them, and figure out a way to cut those back 4 or 5%. We've got to get more efficient. The efficiencies are there. We need some help finding them. Councillors, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I could go on for days with all of you, and we'll continue the discussion, I'm sure, uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Thanks so much again for coming in. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been another edition of the YYC Roundtable here on 770 CHQR.